This morning, I wanted to change things up a bit. I'm going to read the text that we're going to look at this morning in its entirety. But if you wouldn't mind humoring me this morning, I'd like us to stand as I read this text in reverence to the Word. So whether you're in the room with me this morning or you're watching at home online, please stand as I read from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, the Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for port. After paying for the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word of the Lord. You can go ahead and have a seat. Perhaps this story is familiar to you. You may remember it from Sunday school or have fond memories of your children's child book, a church book that had pictures of the prophet Jonah inside the belly of the whale. And I always love when we get to teach this story to our preschool kids. It's tons of fun because we pull out a camping tent. And then, out of poster board, we make big eyes and a big whale tail to put on the back of the tent and eyes on the front. And then, all the preschool kids get inside the tent and, and we tell the story of Jonah. It's a ton of fun, but this story is more than just a tale to tell preschool kids. The thing about this book is that it has a very profound message that we need to hear. The book of Jonah is the story of a runaway prophet who runs away from what God has called him to. He runs away from his task of being a prophetic voice to a lost nation. And in an event of irony, as we read in our text for this morning, 
God puts him in front of a group of lost sailors to do ministry in the midst of him trying to abandon God's call. And this text and this story, I believe, has a very relevant message that the church needs to hear. As we heard in the scripture reading this morning, the story of Jonah starts with God calling the prophet Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And to help us understand this message that this story has for the church, I'm going to set up the story by telling you a little bit about each of the characters. First, the Ninevites. They are the wicked heathens whom Jonah was called to preach to. The people of Nineveh were not Israelites, meaning they were not Jews. They were not people of God. Matter of fact, they were enemies of the people and nation of Israel. But God called Jonah to go to the heathens, the people who don't know the one true God, and to preach a message of repentance to them. And man, were they heathens. The people of Nineveh were some of the most vile, wretched, murderous people of their day. And God calls his prophet, Jonah, to go and preach against their wickedness. So the second major character in our story is Jonah. He's the runaway prophet who feared and was scornful toward the Ninevites. Now, we don't know much more about Jonah other than what his book tells us. There's one other mention of him in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings chapter 14. But as you read through this book and his story, you can really see the type of person Jonah was. Jonah runs away from his responsibility of going to preach to the Ninevites. And perhaps the reason why he does that is because he's afraid. After all, the Assyrians were a great enemy of the people of Israel. So if he went and preached against him, there was a chance that they would kill him or, or worse, destroy the nation of Israel and take siege of the city. But Jonah wasn't just afraid. We can see later on in the book that Jonah actually hated the fact that the Ninevites might be forgiven for their wickedness. Check out what we're told over in chapter 4 and verse 2 after Jonah had already preached his message and the people of Nineveh repented. He sa it says this, He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, and he quotes God here, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So, yes, he may have been afraid of the Ninevites, and that's the reason why he fled. But we know from this right here that Jonah hated the fact that their lifestyle could be forgiven, that God would be compassionate and gracious enough toward this wicked people. And when Jonah runs away from his call by God to go and preach to Nineveh, he headed down to Joppa to board a ship headed for Tarshish. Now, to just give you a little perspective and help you see the irony of this story, Nineveh is in the Middle East. Tarshish is on the tip of modern-day Spain. So quite literally, God tells Jonah, go east, and Jonah goes west. And he's out on this boat, 
And as he is, a storm comes up on the sea. And don't mistake this storm for some petty little rain. No, no, no. This storm had to be something significant because the sailors who are out on the sea day after day, they become fearful and afraid of their lives. And so that brings us to the third character of the story, the sailors and the captain. They are the lost heathens whom God uses to rebuke Jonah and show him his purpose. And these sailors, they're concerned for their life. They're crying out in all different directions in hopes for an answer, a solution, a way to calm the storm so that they might be saved. And all the while, I want you to notice where Jonah is. Look back at the text, verse 5. It says this, Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell asleep. The man of God was taking a nap. Notice the contrast. Just above deck, There's a group of sailors who are fighting for their life, crying out for answers, making calls to their God, and getting nowhere. And the person who knows why all of this is happening and is literally a prophet of the God who made the sea is asleep. And we can be naive and think to ourselves, oh, Jonah, he's able to sleep in the middle of the storm because he has faith. He trusts that God will protect them and keep them safe. But we find out through the plea of the captain that that's not the case at all. The captain, in his desperation, goes down to Jonah, and we're told this in verse 6. It says the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. The captain of the ship rebukes Jonah for his negligence. He rebukes him saying, if you're religious, if you have God, why are you not using your faith for the good of the public? How can you be sleeping when we're nearly dying just above deck? He rebukes him further and says, pray on our behalf. Pray that we will not perish. Call on your God. Jonah wasn't asleep because he trusted God. Jonah was asleep, leaving a lost world above him to go on dying without doing anything to intervene on their behalf. The captain rightfully rebukes Jonah for not using his faith or the resources that God has given him for the good of others. See, the story of Jonah... It's the story of a runaway prophet who runs from his mission of going and preaching to the lost people of Nineveh. He runs because of fear, because of hatred, because of anger. And the purpose of this side story, so to speak, in chapter 1 with the sailors and the captain, the purpose, I think, is for God to take Jonah by the nape of the neck and put him in front of them so as to say to them, him, you are here for them. If you belong to me, you're here for these people. I don't care that, that you don't like them, that you think that they're beyond hope, that you're not like them. You are here for them. And this story, church, has a very profound and relevant message that we need to hear 
we, and when I say we, I mean we as believers, we are called upon to use our faith for the good of others, specifically those who are lost and far from God. The rebuke of the captain to the prophet Jonah is harsh. It's cutting words to hear. But the very thing that Jonah is rebuked for is the same thing the church is guilty of today. The Spirit through the Word of God, the Spirit through the Word is speaking through Jonah's negligence and the captain's rightful rebuke so as to say to the church, we're asleep. In this story, in this prophetic book, when I look at the characters, the Ninevites, the sailors, the captains, Jonah, you know who I'm most like? You know who you're most like? Jonah. And church, we are like Jonah. And we're asleep. We're asleep to the world's problems. We're asleep to what's happening around us because we're too concerned about our own internal affairs, our own preferences, our own comfort. We're afraid or, or bitter towards those outside the church. And the world rightfully rebukes us because there is a storm happening outside of these four walls and we claim to know the God of the storm and we have failed to use our faith for the good of others. We failed to use the resources of our faith for others. Now I know that's not a universal truth of everyone in this room or of everyone listening online. But let's wake up for a moment. Let's do a little bit of self-reflection. I want to ask this sobering question for you to consider. If Plum Creek were to close its doors and no longer operate, would anyone who's not a part of our church notice? Would they even care? It's sobering because we're already seeing that happen in churches in our backyard. Churches who are closing their doors. I know of churches who are pews or sitting empty with just a few folks in them week after week. And the church is having a hard time even trying to find someone to come and fill the role of the pulpit each week. Let alone anyone new coming into the church. But what's even more alarming than the fact that it's happening in, in our back, backyard is all you have to do is look across the Atlantic and into Europe and see that it actually has already happened there. All over Europe, massive, beautiful cathedrals and churches sit empty as relics or have been entirely repurposed into bars, clubs, and bed and breakfasts. And the people outside of the ones who used to attend those churches, they didn't notice. It didn't make a difference to them. And I'm afraid the reason why is the people in those churches were asleep. In Plum Creek, if we're not careful, we can fall asleep too. And I'm afraid that I'm starting to see and starting to hear ways 
in which our church is dozing off. We're arguing and disagreeing over things that just do not matter. We're placing our hope, we're making all of our social media posts about a political person or a party or a nation that cannot and does not offer salvation. Some of us are giving up on church attendance. And I understand and know that there are several people watching online and you're doing that to keep yourself and your family safe and protective and God knows your heart and God knows exactly that that's what you need to be doing. And I don't want you to feel any guilt because of that. But there are some people who are using it as an excuse to give up meeting together to encourage each other so that we can encourage each other all the more as we see the day drawing near. We're giving up on church attendance to go camping, vacationing, make sure our kids are involved in in a bunch of sports and activities. See, some of us, we're concerned about our own independence, our own happiness. What about how I feel about what I think? Or we're upset that we have to wear one of these inside the church building each week because that violates our American right. That's just not fair. We're getting upset about the kind of music that we sing inside this room or that the church is not offering such and such a program for me and for my family or that we are offering a certain ministry program. Or maybe we are like Jonah and we're afraid And we're running away from our responsibility and we're passing the buck off to someone else, the quote-unquote professionals. And just to shed some light on the issue here, the real problem, here it is. Since I've been up here talking this morning, 2,120 people have died. And with only 31.2% of the world claiming to be Christians, that means that at least 661 people have died without knowing Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and are destined for an eternity separated from God forever in hell. Church, that's sobering. And we're caught up in things that just don't matter. When the church becomes more concerned about something other than proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're asleep. And when we're asleep, just like the captain, the world has the right to rebuke and reject us. See, folks, The storm that's happening out there is actually a battle. And the battle is not over this nation. The battle is not over this building and how we do ministry here at our church. The battle is over the soul of every human being who's been made in the image of God. Paul puts it this way in the book of Ephesians. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The battle is between the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of light. 
And I want you to hear what the Apostle Peter tells us our responsibility is. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness and into light. You, church, have been called out of darkness into light to declare the praises of him who has accomplished that for you. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation called by God to declare his praises. Church, we are Jonah, messengers of God. But church, it's time for us to stop being like Jonah and running away from our call and purpose. It's time to wake up and do the ministry that God has called us to. It's time for us to allow God to grab us by the nape of the neck and put us in front of the sailors of our world to say, you're here for them. Because you're here for me, and I'm here for them. You're here for the gospel and making it known to your home, to your street, to your neighborhood, and to your community and world. It's time to wake up, to call on our God on the world's behalf, We have been called out of darkness and into light. We know the solution to the problem of this world. See, Jonah knew the God who made the sea. And he could have called out to the God of the sea. In church, we have the same knowledge. We know the same God as the prophet Jonah. And we've experienced firsthand the solution to the problem of evil, suffering, and pain in the world. It has already happened in our own lives. And listen, there is only one answer to calm the storm, to win the battle, and that is to proclaim the excellencies of God. To tell the world in darkness that the only solution, the only salvation is in Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one else comes to the Father except through him. He alone possesses the words of eternal life. Church, I want you to hear the word of God this morning and allow it to pierce your heart. Listen to its words. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. When we let our community know we are for them, when we are committed to doing the work and ministry of God for the lost, Christ's light will not just shine on us. It will light up every dark corner of this world. And the dominion of darkness will be defeated by the kingdom of light. It's time that we wake up, church, and before others. And so here's the challenge for our church. Plum Creek, we've been in this series for the last five weeks called Strong. And we've been looking at spiritual disciplines that, when practiced, can help make us strong and prepared for the battle that's ahead. It's why our theme verse comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, if it is true, and it is, that we are in a spiritual battle, and the thing that is at stake is the very souls of the people above deck, we do need to be prepared. 
We need to be spiritually strong. But not strong so that we can build up walls and set up rows and get comfortable in our safe place below deck. Safe from the outside world and all of its problems. We need to be strong in order to do battle for the work of ministry for the lost. Not so that we can stay below deck, asleep, but so that we can go above deck, where the people are, in the middle of the storm, so that we can call on our God on their behalf, showing up for them and sharing with them the God who can save them. See, part of the reason why the captain rebuked Jonah was because Jonah failed to use the resources at his disposal for the good of the sailors. And we have at our disposal spiritual resources that we must use for others, for the good of the lost. See, our faith is meant to be used for the public good. All too often and far too common, we want to keep our faith private. We come in and have church in private. We even maybe go and have small groups and huddles or, or have our private devotion time. But God is not just the God in private. He's the God in public. Hear this. God is no king at all unless he is king of all. He is king during our private devotion time, but he's king in the public square. And so what we're going to do in this series for the remaining five weeks is flip the script. The past five weeks has been about how to become disciplined to pray, study God's word, give, and serve others. But in these next five weeks, beginning today, we're going to talk about how to use these spiritual resources of prayer, God's word, giving, and serving to fight the battle for our neighbors, for our street, and our community. No longer do we want to be a church that's asleep below deck. We want to do exactly what God has called us to, to declare his praises, to show up for our community, to use the tools he's provided us with for the good of those who are far from him. I don't know about you, but I want our community around us to notice if we were to ever have to close our doors and cease to operate. If that were to ever happen, I want there to be a genuine void in our community. Not so people notice us and, and miss us. No, no, no. I want there to be a void because they miss the gospel and the hope that we bear. God is for people. He's for the lost. And as people of God, we must be for people. We must be for lost. And as a local church in the southern Campbell County, northern Pendleton County area, we're going to start right here in our own backyard. We are for our community. Our church's mission statement is this, leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And a way to start working to accomplish this mission is, for, is by being for people who are lost. We have to stop running away like Jonah from our call. We, 
And I don't just mean collectively we as a church. I mean specifically you as a believer need to take personal responsibility and stop running away by putting the responsibility on someone else. Lay aside your fears, your hatred, your distractions towards the lost world, and go and declare to them the praises of God. Be for those who don't know or have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And let's start by just praying for them. Prayer is an untapped spiritual weapon that God has gifted to his people. If you'll remember in our text from this morning, it was the captain who came to Jonah and said this, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Prayer is when the people of God call out to their God and ask him to come into their situations, their predicaments, and their lives to do something only he can do. We're told this in Proverbs 15, 29. I think this is interesting. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. You know what this means? It means that you and I, as someone who has been made righteous by the blood of Christ, not because we're actually righteous, but because we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, have an ability that those outside of Christ simply do not have. We have the ability to draw near the throne of God. We're taught this in Hebrews 10. To have a relationship with Him. To ask things of Him and know with confidence that He will give to us what is best. We do not have, because either we're asking with the wrong motives, we're asking for personal pleasure or because we simply are just not asking. If we want the light of Christ to shine on our community, if we want our community to know we are for them, that we know the way of salvation for the storm of their life, we have to ask for that to happen. And so as we begin the last five weeks of this series of being for our community, this week, We'll start by just simply praying for them. Pray that they might come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that they might find salvation in the storm of their life and the simple gospel message of Jesus Christ. Pray that we and that you would wake up and before our community that we are for them because we're for the gospel. Pray that you would feel a renewed personal passion and responsibility for the lost. A renewed passion and responsibility for your neighbors, for your community, for those who don't yet know Jesus. And so that's our challenge this week, to begin praying for our community. I want to end my message the same way Jonah chapter 1 ends. See, when Jonah finally does get up, he goes to the sailors above deck and he says this, we're told in verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Why exactly Jonah does this, I don't think we'll ever know. But here's what we do know and here's what I want you to catch inside the text. We can see here 
that Jonah is no longer distracted by the overwhelming power of the storm, nor is he asleep because of his own personal problems and hatred toward the Ninevites. Jonah's attention and his focus here, it's on the sailors. Notice what he says. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. You, it says. He recognizes that he is at fault and he doesn't want them to die for him. And so he is willing to die for them. And this church is when Jonah embodies the power of the gospel. He is willing to die so that the saviors, sailors <laughs> might live. And as we're told in Matthew chapter 12, when the religious leaders come to Jesus demanding a sign to prove that he really is who he says he is, Jesus responds this way in verse 39. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. See, we have something greater than even the prophet of Jonah had. Jonah knew about a promise of a coming Savior and Redeemer. We don't just have a promise. We don't just know about a promise because we know the person. We have an even greater responsibility than Jonah because the sign of Jonah has come to this generation. Jesus Christ willingly gave up his life for you on the cross and rose victoriously three days later. See, church, this is the solution and the motivation. It is not until we recognize this divine truth and it becomes existentially real in our life that the gospel will compel us to go out and be for others. See, our religion and our faith is not a religion of must. It doesn't say we must do this, we must not do that. Our religion is not a religion of must. It's a religion of we will. The gospel solution is when we finally understand that a part of the problem out there, a part of the storm, is actually a problem in here, in our heart. And that the only way that we can be saved is through the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. It is only then when we realize that we are just as sinful, just as guilty, just as deserving of death, that we are so moved, so compelled, so willing to die for others so that others might come to know our God and Savior and be saved. It wasn't until Jonah woke up, began to deal with the people, repented and was willing to die for these people that you see the incredible impact that he has on them. They turn to God and he saves them. The chapter ends this way in, in verse 15. 
says they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. There are two kinds of people in this room today. Two kinds of people watching online. Two kinds of people in our world. To some of you this morning, I say, find that God. The one true God. And find that he is a father of love. And stop trying to earn your salvation by being good enough or pursuing any other thing. Make him preeminent, supreme, first in your life and approach him through Jesus Christ. Making Jesus your Lord and Savior. And to those of you who are believers, I say this. Wake up. Use the gospel of grace on your fears, your angers and distractions and use it for others. Who knows what magnificent thing you're capable of through him. Let's pray. O God most high, God of heaven who created the earth and the sea and everything in it. We give you all the praise because you have called us out of darkness and into light and you have chosen us for your divine task of making your name known to the world. And God, I pray that today we would wake up, that we would do battle for this world, that we would use what you have gifted to us, prayer, your word, your spirit, that we would go out into the streets, our neighborhoods and our community, and we would proclaim your excellencies. I pray for those outside these walls and even some who are inside. Those who don't yet know you, Lord, as their personal Lord and Savior. I pray that we would be diligent ambassadors of the word to proclaim your truth and that they would come to know you and have an eternal relationship with you. I pray if there's anyone who's far from you, that you would soften their heart and that you would use us as tools and instruments to proclaim your gospel of grace. God, give and put in us a renewed passion to be for people by being for you. All this we pray in the name of the one who accomplished for us salvation the one who made us right before you, the name of Jesus. Amen.